Chapter Two of the Radio Boys on the Mexican Border by Gerald Breckenridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Enemy Near. Frank Merrick and Bob Hampton looked at each other in alarm. Their faces were pale. That cry for help, which abruptly had cut off Jack's voice as he spoke to them from his radiophone station two thousand miles away in New Mexico, still rang in their ears. Their heads still hummed from the vibrating crash which had succeeded. What did it all mean? Frank snatched the receiver from his head, while Bob removed his more slowly. Frank voiced the question in each mind as he said in a tone of apprehension. What do you think happened to Jack? You know as much as I do, answered his chum. Well, do you know what I think? asked Frank with energy. I think those Mexican bandits he spoke about sneaked up on him. Well, if they did, they caught a tartar, said Bob with conviction, remembering Jack's athletic prowess. All three boys were athletic, good swimmers, boxers, and wrestlers, as well as skillful fencers. Jack, however, was unquestionably the superior of the others, except that Bob was the best wrestler. Frank shook his head dubiously. I don't know, he said. If there was a bunch of them, and if they sneaked up from behind while he was talking... Just the same, said Bob. Old Jack would put up some battle. I'll bet you the furniture got mussed up all right, all right. That's the reason for that crash. Probably the microphone was torn from the cords. They may even have wrecked the station. Boy, oh boy, don't I wish I'd been there. And Bob doubled up his fists and pranced around, making deadly swings at imaginary foes. Calm down, Bob, said Frank, dropping into a chair and running a hand through his hair as he was in the habit of doing when he was perplexed. We don't know what happened the way we figure. We don't know what happened. Maybe Jack was badly hurt. Maybe he was killed. Or maybe he's a prisoner of the bandits. Ah, oh, he cried, leaping to his feet and beginning to walk up and down the room distractedly. Isn't there something we can do? This is maddening. Calm yourself down, Frank, said Bob, always the cooler of the two in a crisis. If we can't do any better, at least we can wire Jack's father to find out in a few hours what happened. At this moment the door was pushed open. A tall man of distinguished appearance, still in the prime of life, and bearing a close resemblance to Bob, entered the room. He glanced inquiringly at the boys. "'Something gone wrong?' he asked. "'What's the trouble?' "'Hello, Dad.' "'Hello, Uncle George.' It was Mr. Temple, Bob's father and Frank's guardian, and there was relief in the boys' voices as they greeted him. He always was so capable in an emergency." motored home at noon today he said guess i've got spring fever anyhow i couldn't stand it in the city della told me you were over here and that you thought perhaps you would hear from the hamptons today della was bob's younger sister and the temple's only other child we heard all right dad said bob gravely thereupon he proceeded to relate what had occurred mr temple listened in silence his face showed he was disturbed at the conclusion of bob's recital he walked over to the headpiece and put it on no use, Uncle George, said Frank. But Mr. Temple turned to him with a twinkle in his eye. That's so, he said. With a cry, Frank leapt from his chair, seized a headpiece, and put it on. Hooray! It's Jack! he shouted. Then he bent over to the telephone and called. Jack! Jack, are you hurt? What happened? Oh, I'm bunged up a little, came Jack's voice, in a cheerful tone. But there are no bones broken. Was it the bandits demanded bob who had clamped on a third headpiece as he elbowed frank aside to speak into the transmitter yes three of them responded jack a scouting party they sneaked in behind me 
Thought I was alone, I guess. But when I hollered for help, Dad came in from the powerhouse on the run, and the pair of us put them down for the count. We've got them tied up here now. The microphone cord was snapped, but I was able to make repairs, so I started calling for you right away. Jack, this is Mr. Temple, cut in the older man at this point. If your father's there, please put him on the phone. I'd like to speak to him. All right, Mr. Temple, answered Jack. He's right here. Wait just a minute. Frank and Bob politely removed their headpieces and walked to a bookcase, talking in low tones as they leaned their elbows on the top of it. This room, by the way, deserves a brief description. It was circular and without windows. The walls were hung with a material resembling burlap in appearance, but of special construction and soundproof. The ceiling was nine feet high. From a point six feet up the walls, material like that in the walls stretched to a point in the middle of the ceiling. The room had somewhat the appearance of the interior of a small circus tent. This construction was for the purpose of increasing the acoustic properties. While Mr. Temple conversed with Mr. Hampton, in whose oil operations he naturally was interested, as he'd invested a considerable sum in them, the boys talked in whispers. They were frankly envious of Jack's adventures and wishing that they, too, were on the ground. Suddenly, something said by his father caught Bob's attention, and he stopped talking to Frank and turned to listen. "'Well, I'll tell you, Hampton,' Bob heard his father say. "'I've got a sharp attack of spring fever. I think I need a vacation, and if these two youngsters of mine will let me go along, I'll come out with them.' Bob couldn't control his eagerness. Going up to his father's side, he pulled insistently at his sleeve. "'Wait a minute, Hampton,' said Mr. Temple. "'Bob has something on his mind.' He removed the receiver and regarded his son with a twinkle. "'Out with it,' he said. "'I suppose that, quite shamelessly, you've been listening to my conversation.' "'No, Dad. Honest engine,' protested Bob. "'I... only I... I couldn't help overhearing that part about you going with us. "'Say, Dad, we'll go by airplane, won't we?' Mr. Temple groaned in mock dismay. "'Run along,' he said. "'You'll drive me crazy with that airplane business.' Then once more, adjusting his headpiece, he resumed his interrupted conversation with Mr. Hampton. Bob returned to Frank, wearing a wide grin. "'I couldn't resist putting over that piece of propaganda,' he said. "'Do you think he'll let us fly?' whispered Frank. "'Say,' answered Bob scornfully, "'now that Dad has decided to go along, it's a cinch.' He's as crazy about flying as Mr. Hampton is about the radio phone. Psst, psst, came a warning whisper, interrupting them. They swung about to face the door into the powerhouse. It was partway open, and the round, good-natured face of Tom Barnum, filled now with anxiety, was framed in the opening. Tom was the mechanic watchman. He beckoned, and the boys tiptoed across the room and into the powerhouse, closing the door behind them. Old Davy, caretaker at the Hampton home, stood there, wringing his hands. "'What is it? What's the matter?' Frank Merrick asked sharply. "'Old Davy says there's a thief up at the house,' said Tom. "'A thief?' said Bob. "'How do you know?' "'Seed him myself with my own two eyes,' quavered old Davy, a little old man who was a pensioner of Mr. Hampton's. "'He's big, dark, ugly-looking feller.' I seen him sneaking into the house through the cellar door I left open to get out some garden tools. Well, then what did you do? asked Frank. I run, said old Davy simply. Leastways I tried to, but my legs ain't what they used to be. Come on, Bob, said Frank impulsively. Let's go see. Not till we tell Dad first, said Bob, always the cooler. Re-entering the sending room, Bob once more gained the attention of his father, who still was in conversation with Mr. Hampton. He told him what old Davy had reported. 
Mr. Temple readjusted the headpiece and swung about to the transmitter. Anything in your house a fellow could carry off in a pocket, Hampton, he said, because the boys tell me there's a thief in it right now, and we're going to try and catch him. I don't think so, said Mr. Hampton, and then added in a tone of alarm. Great guns, Temple, yes, there is. There's a duplicate list among my papers that the octopus would give anything to obtain possession of. It's a list of the lessees out here in the oil fields who have joined the independents. All right, Hampton, said Temple, we're off. Removing the headpiece, he hurried Bob back into the powerhouse. There he ordered Tom to switch off the motor, lock up, and follow them. Then, accompanied by the boys and with old Davy trotting alongside to keep up, he started in swift strides for the Hampton house, which could be seen above the intervening treetops about a quarter of a mile away. I thought you came out from town for a little peace and quiet, Dad, said Bob. You're certainly getting it, aren't you? Hey, there he goes. With a shout, Bob started running swiftly toward the figure of a man who had just emerged from the open cellar door near the rear of the Hampton house. End of chapter 2